right. I told Matt last night uh, after they played that song that he had just taken me back to my old school New Georgia Baptist church days. The church kid, man, grew up singing that song, and I don't know that I ever fully realized what I was singing until I got older. Um, but church, that's what we're celebrating today. Our God is not dead. He is very much alive. There's nothing more important than what we celebrate today, that we serve a risen Savior, that not only did Jesus die, but most importantly, He rose from the grave to prove to us that everything He came to earth to do, He accomplished, it was finished, it is done, and we can have the hope of eternal life through Him. Nothing more important than what we celebrate today as Christians. This book actually tells us that uh, if what we celebrate today isn't true, um, then we have bought into some pretty ridiculous, senseless lies, and there are other things we should be using our time for other than being here to worship Jesus. The Bible says we should just be eating, drinking, partying our brains out, and waiting to die. And church, I don't know about you, but I'm just thankful to know this morning that what we celebrate is true. And we know it's true. We know it's true for a lot of different reasons. We know it's true um, because this book tells us it's true, and God wrote this book, and God's not a liar. We know it's true because after Jesus rose from the grave, hundreds of people saw him very much alive and they told stories about it and they wrote those stories down and passed them along. We know that it's true because the courageous, or or I'm sorry, the cowardly men and women that left Jesus at his death became the most courageous men and women the world has ever known and laid down their lives because they couldn't shut up about the fact that Jesus was alive again. We know it's true because Jesus' own family worshipped him as God. Anybody got any family members in here they want to worship as God today? For some of us, our families are so messed up, that's enough proof for us, right? I believe it. Um, We know it's true because some of Jesus' fiercest enemies worshipped him as God after he rose from the grave. And the ultimate proof, you can go to the tomb of Jesus today. And I've been there, I've walked the streets of Israel, stood inside the garden tomb and his body is nowhere to be found. There's a great sign that hangs on the door declaring he is not here for he has risen. Church, Jesus is alive today. And that's what we're here to celebrate. If you're a regular attender, yeah, that's something to clap about. You can clap about that. If you're a regular attender of Westridge, thanks for being here to celebrate Jesus. If you're a guest, I just want you to know we're honored that you're here today hanging out with us, celebrating Jesus with us. So thanks again for being here. Um, If you have a Bible, I want you to get it out. Let's turn open to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. All the verses we're going to read together are going to go up on the screen so you can follow along there. Um, The past several weeks, we've been in a series as a church called The Last Words. And over the course of this series, we've been talking about teaching through the last words that Jesus spoke from the cross as he was dying. And today, as part of our Easter celebration, we're actually going to close that series out. And we're going to talk about the last words, the very final words that Jesus spoke before he breathed his last breath and physically died. Several weeks ago, too, I told you as a pastor, one of the things that I get to deal with on a regular basis is death. Um, Lots of times when people die, I get called. When people are dying, I'll get called. Over my time in ministry, I have been in the room with people as they're passing from this life to the next, taking their final breaths. And one of the things that's always captivated me is spending time with people in their last moments, in their last days, and hearing what they have to say. 
And in my experience, it's been more often than not that when those people speak, their words carry with them great significance and great meaning when it comes to the things they believe, the things they value, the people they love and care about, and how they perceive what waits on them after life on this earth is over. And as we've seen over the course of the series, as we're going to see today, it's no different with the last words of Jesus. Today, you're going to hear his heart. You're going to hear what he believes, what he values. You're going to hear how Jesus loves you deeply and cares about you as somebody he created. And you're also going to hear how Jesus perceives what waits on all of us after life on this earth is over. So with that being said, I want us to read these verses together. And then we're going to talk about what Jesus' words reveal to us and mean for us. Luke 23, starting in verse 44. The Bible says, it was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. That's 12 in the afternoon to 3 in the afternoon, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. These final words that Jesus spoke from the cross right before he died give us so much hope, so much comfort, so much peace this morning, and we're just going to talk through how that's true. So if you're taking notes, write down this very first statement about what these words of Jesus reveal to us. These words reveal to us and remind us that the death of Jesus was an appointment, not an accident. The death of Jesus was an appointment not an accident. When you read the Bible, here's what you find. You find that Jesus was put to death. He was crucified and murdered during a Jewish celebration called Passover. Now, Passover was, and it still is today, an eight-day festival where Jewish people remember and reflect on how God saved them, rescued them, freed them from over 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Now, if you want to hear that story, read about it in detail, couple of options, all right? You can go and read the book of Exodus, and you'll find the story there. Or if you're one of those people that somebody tells you to read something, and your first response is, is there a movie? Um, if you're that person, there's a movie. Uh, it's a cartoon movie, but you can rent it, The Prince of Egypt, and you can watch it, and, but still read the Bible, okay? Um, but here's, here's a snapshot of the story. Okay, again, God's people, the Israelites, the Jewish people, they've been slaves to the Egyptians for over 400 years. God decides enough is enough, I'm going to free my people. And so he comes to this man named Moses, and he goes, Moses, I'm going to use you to free my people. Now Moses' response is, uh, I think you got the wrong guy. I don't know if I'm cut out for this. And God goes, no, 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 it's you, I'm using you. So I need you to go to the Pharaoh of Egypt, and I need you to tell him to let my people go. So Moses does that. And Pharaoh's simple response to Moses is, no. Absolutely not. I'm not letting the people go. They have free workers, right? I'm not letting these people go. And so God comes back to Moses and says, Moses, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send a series of plagues into the land of Egypt. And through these plagues, Pharaoh is going to be convinced that he needs to let my people go. And, and I'll tell you what God did. I'll tell you about some of the plagues. Um, God turned all the water in Egypt to blood. He sent frogs, he sent gnats, he sent flies, he killed their livestock. He caused the Egyptians to get boils on their skin. He sent hell, he sent locusts. He made darkness fall on the land of Egypt. And the Bible said it's the kind of darkness that you can feel. So it was dark. 
Now, after these nine plagues, Moses goes back and Pharaoh let the people of God go. And again, Pharaoh's response is, no, not going to do it. So God comes back to Moses one last time and says, okay, Moses, here's the deal. I'm sending one more plague. You need to pack your stuff. You need to get the people ready because after this one, he's kicking you guys out. He's letting you go. And here was God's plan. He said, Moses, on this particular night, I'm going to sweep through the land of Egypt and I'm going to kill all the firstborn of the Egyptians. And he said, now here's what I want you to tell my people so that they can protect themselves from death. He said, all the Jewish people, the Israelite people, on the 10th day of this month that they were in, it was the Jewish month of Nisan, they need to take a lamb. Each family needs to get a lamb. It needs to be a year old. It needs to be a male. It needs to have no defects. So spotless, no blemishes, no deformities, nothing. They need to keep that lamb with their family for a whole week. So everybody gets a pet lamb for five days, okay? Um, at the end of those five days, God says every single family needs to kill that lamb. They need to sacrifice it. They need to spill its blood. And then they need to take some of its blood. That night I'm going to come through the land of Egypt, sprinkle it on the doorpost of their house. So that way when I'm coming through the land, I'm going to see the blood of that Passover lamb. And death will pass over your homes and I'll just keep going. And so that was what God did. He swept through the land, killed all the firstborn of the Egyptians. And every home he came to that had the blood of the lamb on its doorpost, he passed over. Over And so Passover is this celebration where people remember through the blood of the Passover lamb, God saved us from death and he gave us life. He rescued us. And so back to Jesus. Jesus is in Jerusalem, ready to be killed, ready to be crucified, and Passover is taking place. There are literally hundreds of thousands of Jewish people in the city reflecting and remembering on God saving them hundreds of years before this ever happened. Now, I want to explain to you what I mean when I say that the death of Jesus was an appointment, not an accident, by giving you the timeline of what happened that week. Okay, here's how it went. Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem for his final time before his death on a Sunday, five days before he was going to be killed. And the Bible says he rides into the city on a donkey. Um, he did that to fulfill an Old Testament prophecy in the book of Zechariah. And as he rides in the city, people are waving palm branches and they're shouting out Hosanna, which literally means God save us. And that's what Jesus was coming to do. The people didn't even realize what they're saying, but he's coming to save them. That same Sunday as Jesus is coming into the city, it was Lamb Selection Day. All the families in Israel would have been picking out a Passover lamb to keep with their family for the next five days, sacrificing later in the week as part of their Passover celebration. Now, the lambs that were brought into the city for families to choose from, they were brought in from the fields of a little town called Bethlehem, the same town that Jesus was born in. And when they were brought into the city, they were brought in through what was called the Sheep's Gate. It's the northeast gate of the city of Jerusalem. The same gate Jesus was ushered through on the night he was arrested from the Garden of Gethsemane to be put to death. This is all happening. The death of Jesus, church, it's an appointment, not an accident. 
You fast forward to Thursday, Jesus is arrested. Friday morning comes, he stands trial before religious leaders and Roman officials. By nine o'clock in the morning, Jesus is nailed to a piece of wood and he's hanging there crucified. And for the next six hours, Jesus hangs on his cross. And then three o'clock in the afternoon rolls around. Now let me tell you what was going on at three o'clock. Every family in the nation of Israel were getting ready to sacrifice their Passover lambs. The people that lived there, they're doing this in their homes. The people that had traveled into the city of Jerusalem, they're at the temple preparing to sacrifice their Passover lambs. The priests are in the temple and they have one symbolic Passover lamb that is representative of all of God's people. And at three o'clock, those priests and all the people sacrificed their lambs and the priests then blew this musical instrument called a shofar from the temple to signify that the Passover lamb had been killed, its blood had been shed, and people would stop and remember again that because of the blood of the lamb, death has passed over us and God has given us life. And it was at that same time in the afternoon where Jesus from the cross declares, it is finished. Everything I came to this earth to do, it's done. I've paid the penalty for sin. And he gives his spirit into his father's hands and he breathes his final breath. Church, listen to me. The death of Jesus was an appointment, not an accident. The Bible tells us that Jesus died at just the right time, and he died at just the right time so that we would know that he is our sacrifice, he is our Passover lamb, that he has laid down his life, his blood has been shed, so that death could pass over us and we could receive life from God. Listen to me, John 10, Jesus says himself that nobody takes his life from him. That he and he alone has the authority to lay down his life. Church, there were men who would hang on their crosses after crucifixion for up to nine days. Nine days. Jesus hangs on his cross for six hours and he gives up his spirit, lays down his life at just the right time so that you and I would know that his death was an appointment, not an accident. I want you to know that before the foundation of the world was laid, God had a plan to rescue sinful people from their sins, and his plan was accomplished through Jesus. His body was broken, his blood was shed, so that our sins could be forgiven, and that we could know eternal life. Church's death is an appointment, it wasn't an accident. The next thing, I want you to write this down. These words from Jesus remind us that Jesus is the way to God. Jesus is the way to God. The Bible tells us in this passage we just read that when Jesus died and he gave his spirit up into his father's hands and he breathed his last breath, that there was this curtain in the temple that was torn in two. Now this wasn't just some ordinary curtain. It wasn't a curtain you hang in your house. Um, This curtain was over 60 feet tall It was over 30 feet wide. It was woven together with very, very thick fabric. And it separated the part of the temple called the most holy place from the rest of the temple. Now, in the most holy place behind the curtain, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that's where the presence of God dwelt on the earth. 
No person was ever allowed to go behind that curtain except for the high priest, and he could only go back there one day a year on Yom Kippur, or what's known as the Day of Atonement. And he went back behind the curtain into the presence of God to make a sacrifice for the sins of all God's people, one day a year. So when Jesus died, and Matthew 27, 51 tells us this curtain was torn from top to bottom, showing us it's the hand of God that tore this thing in half, And it signifies to us that the death of Jesus opened up the way to God. That because of the death of Jesus, no longer do we need a man, a priest, to represent us before God. Jesus represents us before God. He's our high priest, the Bible says. No longer do we have to be fearful of entering the presence of God. Jesus is the presence of God on the earth. And because of Jesus, we can come into the presence of God anytime we want with boldness and with confidence. Jesus is the way to God. He is the one who made the way for you and I as sinful people to have a relationship relationship and fellowship with a holy, a righteous, and a perfect God. He is the way to God. Now, church, I'm not making this up. Um, read the Bible, and in John 14, 6, you'll see that Jesus himself said this was true. I mean, he said that he was the way, he was the truth, he was the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. And listen, I know that where we live in our culture, in our country, Lots of places around the world. This is not a popular idea. It's not. But church, here's what we've got to trust and believe. We've got to believe that if God says there's a way, and the way is Jesus, that it's the right way, it's the best way, and it's the only way. And what we can't ever forget is this. We didn't deserve any way to God. Because of who we are as sinful people, God should have never opened a way at all. Oh, but he did, and it's through Jesus. And I just celebrate and praise God today that he made a way. And if you don't believe that, I pray that before you leave, God will convince you that Jesus is the way to God. There's this awesome passage in Hebrews chapter 6 that paints a great picture of Jesus being the way to God. And here's what it says. It says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Um, During the time the book of Hebrews was written, um, when ships would sail into ports or harbors, they would have a forerunner on board. Now, I don't know about you, I wouldn't want this job. This guy's job was when the ship got close to the shore, he jumps off the boat into the water. Okay, He's got a rope attached to him. The other end is attached to the boat. He swims to the shore, and once he gets there, he'll take that rope, and he would tie it to a rock or tie it to a tree, and then he would use a winch to, to safely guide the ship into the port, into the harbor, into the shore. So the book of Hebrews says, Jesus is our forerunner. You see, he's gone before us. He's committed his spirit into the Father's hands. He's at the right hand of God. He is the way to God. He's made the way. And he is the one and the only one that can guide us safely from where we are to where God is. That's who Jesus is. Paul said this, and then we'll move on. Paul said in Galatians 2 that if Jesus was not the only way, this was pointless. Like if we could get to God through other ways, being good people, following rules, being religious... Paul said Jesus died for absolutely no reason. The cross was a miserable failure if there's another way to God. But church, Jesus is the way. That had a purpose. And its purpose was to provide you and me as sinful people a way to God. Jesus is the way to God. 
Last thing, and here's where we'll close. These words from Jesus remind us that death is not the end of life. Death is not the end of life. These words that Jesus spoke from the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, tell us that Jesus planned on going somewhere after he died. Like Jesus didn't believe that just because physical life was ending here on earth, that life was over. And here's the thing that you need to know this morning. When you read this book, it tells us that the same thing is true for all of us. That just because our physical life here on earth ends, it does not mean that life is over. There's more to life than just this life. Now again, I know that plenty of people in the world would probably disagree on this point. Maybe you're here this morning and you would disagree on this point. You're here and say, man, I believe that when we die, a body goes into the ground, worms get a free lunch, and we just kind of rot away, right? Um, Here's what I'd say to you. First, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for being here and hanging out with us today. Um, Secondly, and I want to say this in love and in humility, okay? But here's what I'd say. Um, You are at odds with Jesus. You're at odds with Jesus. Jesus constantly taught throughout his life here on earth that there's more to life than just this life, that death is not the end of life. And, and here's the thing I'm going to say to you. By refusing to believe that there's more to life than just this life, that death is not the end, um, you're basically calling Jesus a liar. And I don't know about you, church, but I'm just going to go with what Jesus says. Um, I think I can believe him. I don't have any reason not to believe him. And according to Jesus, death is not the end of life. All of us in the room have got to come to a conclusion on what we believe about that. And I pray that you would just believe what Jesus believes and teaches. Here's the ultimate proof that Jesus gave us that death is not the end of life. Are you ready for it? He rose from the dead. Friday... He laid down his life, brutally murdered on a cross. Sunday morning, he came walking out of a tomb very much alive again. To again, church, remind us that death is not the end of life. And here's how it went down for Jesus. When he committed his spirit into his father's hands, his human spirit, the highest part of who we are as people, the part of us that allows us to have a relationship with God, fellowship with God, he committed that spirit into God's hands and it stayed there in the presence of God until on Sunday morning that spirit was reunited with a brand new, restored, resurrected body and Jesus walked out of the tomb very much alive. The hope that you and I have, if we know Jesus, is that that same thing one day is going to be true of us. If we know Jesus, when we close our eyes in death, the hope that we have is this, is that our spirits will go into the hands of God, the presence of God, and our spirits will stay there with him until one day Jesus comes back to this earth again, and then our spirits will be resurrected in new, healed, restored bodies, never to suffer again, never to feel pain again, never to shed a tear again, never to fear death again. And we'll live in those new resurrected bodies with Jesus for all of eternity. That's the hope we have if we know him. Now, um, as a pastor, and as the pastor of this church, it's my job to tell you the truth. And the truth is this. um, For those of us in the room that would deny Jesus, reject Jesus, refuse Jesus, the Bible says that after we die one day, our spirits will also go into the hands of God but for judgment. And listen, that's not a good thing. 
And the Bible says that when Jesus comes back to this earth again one day, that your spirit will be resurrected in a new body as well. But not for eternal life with God. It's going to be resurrected to spend all of eternity outside the presence of God, suffering the penalty for your sin. Here's my plea for you this morning. Don't suffer what Jesus has already suffered for you. The cross was for you. Jesus died in your place for your sins so that you could know eternal life, so that you could spend forever with him. And why in the world would you choose to suffer for your sin when Jesus has already done it for you? Come to Jesus this morning if you don't know him. He's alive. He's the way to God. He can get you there. His death was for you, and death is not the end of your life. You're going to go somewhere, and I pray you choose to go be with Jesus. The Bible says, and this is where we'll end after we read this verse in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, and the Bible's talking about us. It says, he himself, talking about Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. He became one of us, wrapped himself in flesh, blood pumping through his veins. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Church, Jesus is alive. Death, hell, and sin have been conquered by Jesus once and for all. And there's no reason for you to fear that day when you close your eyes in death. Because if you know Jesus, it's a good day. If you don't know him this morning, I want to invite you to come to Jesus. If you do know him, I want to invite you to love him. To be blown away by his love for you. To be captivated that we serve a God who would love you so much that he'd send his son to die in your place and to give you life. I just want to ask you, if you will, just to bow your heads, close your eyes. And for those of you that don't know Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to come to know Jesus now. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you believe and confess that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he came into the world as the son of God to die in your place for your sins. And you will confess and believe that God raised him from the dead. And God will save you. There's no magic prayer that saves anybody. It's just you being willing to believe and confess those things. And if you need help this morning voicing those things where you sit to God, you can just say something like this as your confession. You can say, God, I believe Jesus is we claim to be. I believe he is your son who came into the world. He lived a perfect life and he died on the cross to pay for my sins. So God, I'm asking you this morning through Jesus, forgive me of my sins, past, present, and future. Forgive me of them. I believe that Jesus, after three days, he rose from the grave, conquering death so that I could have eternal life. So God, this morning, I pray and I ask you, through Jesus, give me eternal life. Again, God's promise in his word is this. You believe and confess those things about his son, Jesus. He will save you. He'll give you a new heart. He'll make you a new creation. He'll start to change you from the inside out. And one day you can know with certainty that after life on this earth is over, you're going to go spend eternity with him as a son or a daughter of God. Before we move on, I just want to stop and pray for those of you 
who made that decision this morning for the first time. And I'd like to know who I'm praying for. So if you could just do me a favor, wherever you sit, if you could just raise your hand. If you believe, confess, prayed that this morning for the first time, I just want to ask you to just throw it up so I can see it. See his hands going up. Father God, I just thank you so much for the people in this room right now, Father. For the very first time, I believed and trusted in Jesus as the one who was appointed to die in their place for their sins. Believing that Jesus is the way to you, God. Believing that Jesus is their hope for eternal life. God, I I pray for them that you'd start to change them right now. That you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, God, so that they could live the life here on this earth that you've called them to live. God, in this moment, I pray you overwhelm them with your love and your grace for them. Father, thank you that you are powerful and that you can change lives and eternities, God. And we praise you for that this morning. God, thank you for making a way. Thank you for making a way. God, we love you so much and we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus.